Hello and welcome to this latest episode of Green Conversations, a special from Dubai recorded at COP28 and a special welcome to my guest today, Kasia Krasinka-Lewis, a lawyer working in Europe and the US at the forefront of sustainability regulation, an expert on the European Green Deal, many other things too, and on our topic today, the carbon market. So Vitam, Kasia. Pleased so, to be with you here. So Kasia, for those who don't know, in simple terms, what are carbon credits and, and carbon markets and, and what's the difference between what we call voluntary and compliance markets, because that's really important, isn't it? Yes, that's a very good fundamental question. So carbon credits essentially are environmental commodities that can represent either right to pollute, so right to emit one ton of CO2, or they can represent a reduction of one ton of CO2. Uh, so essentially these are two sides of the same coin uh, and a way to, to internalize the social cost of carbon, as we, as we call it. Uh, and carbon markets are the are the trading platforms, trading uh, marketplaces, where you can purchase the allowances or purchase those rights to emit or purchase the reductions that took place uh, somewhere else, so outside of your uh, direct control. So you can purchase those reductions and then use, the, use it to offset your own, hopefully, unabatable emissions, because that's really the intention here, to use the offsets only where the actual emissions cannot be. Uh, for technological reasons, for instance, uh, it should. And, and there's been a lot of there's a lot of talk at this COP about carbon markets and the importance of them. So, so why is that? Why are they such an important part of implementing the Paris Agreement? And what still needs to be done? Absolutely. And so maybe just to just to finish the thought from from uh, from my last response. So so we have two essentially different types of markets. One is compliance. One is voluntary. And now with this COP, we're also seeing the emergence of a new carbon market, which for the lack of a better term for now, we call Paris Aligned. So starting with the beginning, so compliance markets are essentially the markets that are mandated by governments, that are prescribed by governments and participation in those markets is compulsory. The uh, very good example is the EU emissions trading scheme in place since 2005, where high emitters have to purchase the allowances, again, representing a right to emit one ton of CO2, and then surrender them after the emissions actually take place. So these are compliance markets. Then voluntary carbon markets, as the name suggests, are the markets where the transactions are freely voluntary. Um, the problem with those markets is that they are not regulated. And so, so right now with this call, and in general with operationalization of the Paris Agreement, we are hoping that the legal framework to regulate carbon markets, which is there in Article 6.2 and 6.4 of the Paris Agreement, will now come into play and we'll see a market that might still be voluntary, but at least regulated under a harmonized framework of the Paris Agreement. So, and that's just, so you started to introduce some of the key terms in this market, like all parts of ESG, it's, it's yet another area where we use lots of jargon to make things deliberately difficult and impenetrable. So you talked about Article 6, there's another important phrase we need to know about, which is ITMOS. Do you want to explain what an ITMO is in real person's language? Yes, ITMOS is a highly sought after commodity right now on, on carbon markets, which it's pretty much not really available yet. So ITMOS are internationally transferred mitigation outcomes. So this is a very long phrase just to denote the type of carbon credits that are issued under Article 6.2 of the Paris Agreement. So under this framework, countries can implement uh, uh, policy ramifications domestically, and under that legislation, they can essentially issue those ITMOs, so carbon credits uh, that are 
again, voluntary, but they have this stamp of being approved, actually issued by the government. These are APOs. Uh, and so how do you, how in practical terms will this solve some of the problems of the voluntary carbon markets? And, and I think many of our members will have seen a lot of reports in the um, in the Financial Times and the Guardian and papers like that over the past the past year, sort of you know, showing real problems in the, the voluntary offset market, and uh, which has been a lot of investment has flowed out of that market now with people worried about it. So how will it all solve this, this challenge? Well, there, there is a lot of hope um, with regard to ITMOs, and uh, there is a lot of hope that they will improve uh, significant inefficiencies in existing voluntary carbon markets. Um, and there are several counts. So most importantly, as I said, ITMOs will be sovereign issued, uh, and issued under the domestic legal framework, which again will fall under the larger ramification of the Paris Agreement. So you can clearly see, I think, just you know, comparing what I said about previously about voluntary carbon markets. Uh, oh, maybe I should also add, add that for involuntary carbon markets, credits are issued by private so-called standards. Here, ETMOS will be issued by a sovereign. So immediately, automatically, will avoid a lot of problems where the voluntary carbon credits were procured by private stakeholders Credits were issued by a private stakeholder and there was no governmental oversight. Very often governments of developing countries didn't even know that credits were procured uh, on their territory. Uh, and there was also a lot of controversy with, you know, sometimes very, very sadly, displacing of local communities so that the investor could plant a forest, you know, and claim credits for that. So hopefully with the ITMO framework, these situations will not take place. The IPO market is particularly important for the Global South, the developing nations, and you're here in part to help highlight some of the, the good examples that are already going on in countries including Rwanda and, uh, and Ghana. So can you perhaps share some examples of, of ITMOs and how they're being used in real life at the moment with us? The countries that you mentioned, uh, they are at the forefront of Article 6.2 implementation in as much as they have, especially Ghana, has very mature, uh, fully developed legal framework. And that's essentially what we need uh, for investments to flow into the country because investors want to have this legal certainty. They want to be able to you know, review the whole process, be sure of all of the steps that need to be followed. So, so Ghana uh, last year actually uh, finalized, before last year's COP, finalized their Article 6.2 framework and authorized first ITMOs. Authorized meaning they issued them essentially. Or the, the, the new approach that we are putting emphasis on is that ITMOs up until recently have been perceived as something that can be transacted between sovereigns. So the ITMOs that were authorized by Ghana last year were purchased then by so-called buyer countries, for instance, Switzerland, Singapore. Uh, but in our view and in our interpretation of Article 6.2, those ITMOs can be purchased or generated also by private stakeholders, which would definitely bring more capital into the markets, much needed capital. And it's, about, it's a great way then of, of capital flowing from developed nations to the global south where we, we need to support a successful just transition then in that case. So so it sounds like the system of governments then is clearly kind of key in this. So is there is there more that governments need to be doing more broadly to scale up the market? And then also what's the role of the finance sector itself in trying to scale up the market? Very good question. So the, the, the government has to take the first step, which is implement the framework. Again, like there is there is an overarching framework under Article 6.2, but then it has to be, so to speak, transposed onto the, the national level. So that's the role of governments. And um, 
arguably there is the lack of, we call it, capacity on the side of the, especially developing countries, because, you know, there has to be a lot of analytics, a lot of policy making, like even the technical policy drafting, it's in this new area. This is not something that countries necessarily have readily available. So this is definitely an area where you know, institutions like the World Bank or UNDP or even private consultants can help with. Also because... Well, they can in, ask you to help with this, can't they? That, <laughs> exactly. That's also what we are doing. And that's more efficient because then we know what the best practices are or the, you know, the, the advisors. We know what are the lessons learned. So, so this makes the whole process more, uh, more efficient. And then it's also good to look at it as a very collaborative process that we often describe it as public-private partnership and I wouldn't be afraid of that term because it's not a commingling of interests but it's like literally putting the you know all of the minds together investors articulating what they need to have in the in that legislation to actually bring the capital into the country and the government articulating what they want in exchange maybe some share of proceeds that will benefit the local communities uh, so there are different options of structuring this so so like like so many things in in climate finance and sustainable finance more broadly collaboration is really the key to this between between governments between private finance between the various professions and consultants and, and, uh, and multilateral bodies, you know, everyone needs to get involved with this. How big can this market get, do you think? Because this does sound like it's potentially a really important part of this solution to financing the transition, particularly in the global south, but what sort of size and scale does it need to get to? Million dollar question. <laughs> Million, that's trillion dollars. Yeah, well, you are absolutely right, because uh, as far as I remember, the, the latest numbers when it comes to how much money needs to be invested in green transition globally, and a lot of this will, you know, should, should go towards uh, developing countries until the end of this decade is around four to six trillion dollars. I think that these are the numbers that the UN goes by. So, so we can imagine that a lot of these funds will be channeled through carbon markets because uh, probably a lot of the burden of you know financing green transition should be carried by the private sector and the private sector will only get engaged through mechanisms like carbon markets so we're really talking about ast potentially astronomical markets and that's why it's so important that that these markets do uh, instill confidence in investors than purchasers of the of the offsets and society at large so it's a, it's a great example of something that sounds at the start you know quite technical very jargonistic sort of quite niche but actually can be a really important part of the the, the solution we're all looking for so thanks for sharing that with us uh, Kasia dziękuję bardzo and enjoy the rest of COP28 dziękuję bardzo za zaproszenie enjoy the rest of COP as well